Welcome to the Australian Abortion Stories podcast, a place where we can listen to and receive the story medicine of women and people's lived experience of abortion. We're here to decrease stigma, increase empathy and understanding, and to create a better world for all people through these stories. I'm your host, Kelsey, and before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Ghana and Gadigal people of the lands on which this podcast is hosted. I also extend that respect to the people of the lands on which you are listening from today, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person who is listening. It always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Australian Abortion Stories. I think we're up to number 29, which is great. Hope you're having a good day. Um, However, sometimes if you're listening to this podcast, you are not having a great day. So just sending you some love. Um, And in today's episode, I, Kelsey, um, had a chat with Kristen. And Kristen shared with us a story of her third abortion. She was living in New South Wales at the time. And yeah, her third abortion was a herbal abortion. So I thought that was really interesting and it's something we haven't had on the podcast before. Um, We didn't delve into too many details about the specifics of how it was done. Um, So this is not the podcast for information about how to do that. Um, I suggest you you go elsewhere to look for that information. Um, But it was a really interesting story and I really appreciated how she shared, yeah, snippets of her integration journey um, after her second abortion and after her third as well and what that meant to her, um, yeah, in her personal life. And um, on a work-related note, she also is a post-abortion psychotherapist um, and she has a really amazing Instagram account um you can find that at Kristen Portney underscore therapy so k-r-i-s-t-n-p-o-r-t-n-e-y underscore therapy I'll pop that in the show notes um yeah and she's just got some really good stuff to say um and yeah I highly recommend listening to this episode if you feel up to it and as always take care of yourself um if at any point you start to feel upset or triggered just take note of note of that and take a break if you need to, go for a walk, have a cup of tea, um, go watch some Netflix, whatever you need to do. Um, And if you enjoyed this podcast um, and this episode, please give the um, Instagram page some love, give it a like, a follow, leave a review on whatever podcast app you're on. That really helps us reach more women and people. Um, Or you can send us some money um, through the Buy Me A Coffee account to pay for our Zoom account. So All those links are in the show notes and stuff. And I think that's it. Let's get into it. Welcome to the (laughs) podcast, Kristen. It's so lovely to have you here and also to be seeing your face after so long of following you on Instagram. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Kelsey. (laughs) And um, would you just like to introduce yourself a bit to the podcast listeners um, yeah, who you are, where you're living at the moment, and what you do? Sure. Well, my name is Kristen, as you said, and I am currently living in Portugal. I, for work, I'm a psychotherapist, and I've dedicated the last 10 years of my practice and, and personal development and in, uh, doing a deep inquiry into post-abortion care, both um, the lack 
that has existed over the last decade and prior, and then the development of post-abortion care that's been emerging uh, currently. And then aside from being a psychotherapist, I also uh, study dance and uh, enjoy, yeah, being, learning about embodiment practices. That's kind of my area of interest right now outside of work mm. and in work, I guess, as well. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What type of dance um, are you interested in? Yeah, I've been doing um, more recently learning improvisation and uh, contemporary dance. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk more about that, but I think we should probably try and stay yeah. on track. <laughs> okay. I would love to talk about that too. <laughs> um, so how long have you lived in Portugal for? Uh, only two years uh, okay. before I moved here. I was living in the Bay Area of California um, in San Francisco mm-hmm. and then Berkeley for about eight years. But mm-hmm. I'm originally from the East Coast. That's where I grew up. Mm, beautiful. Your story that you would like to share today, take us back to where that begins, because obviously you've said you're from the States and you're living in Portugal and people might be wondering, how does this relate to Australia? (laughs) So yeah, would you like to take us back to that moment in time for you um, just before you found out that you were pregnant with that instance and yeah, what was going Mm -hmm. on for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so gosh, it's hard for me to do by dates, but I can do it by age. I'm 34 now. And so when I was 28, I moved to Australia to do a working holiday visa with my partner, my long-term partner at the time. And we moved to New South Wales. We were living in Byron Bay. And at that time I had already had two abortions prior. I had an abortion when I was 18 and um, with my first boyfriend. And then I had an abortion when I was about 24 years old with the same partner who I was with in Australia. Hmm. And so I guess I must have been in Byron Bay for about four months, uh, working at a restaurant, just enjoying the summertime there and was, yeah, I'm just like thinking of like painting, painting the picture of what was going on at that time. Mm. It was a bit of a rocky time, to be honest, because me and my partner, although we stayed together for many years after that abortion, at that time, we were really questioning uh, if we were going to stay together. And actually, Mm. right before I found out that I was pregnant, we had decided to live separately. He was potentially leaving Australia to travel on his own. And so there was a, a separation between us that was on the horizon. So that was sort of like the backdrop of the relationship. Uh, Mm. And then uh, found out that I was pregnant and Mm. which was a big, well, wasn't such a huge surprise because we had been (laughs) still uh, intimate with each other. But I was at that time had sort of lost track. I was tracking my period for many years um, Mm. after my second abortion. And then traveling and being in a in a new place actually radically changed my cycle and so Mm -hmm. I had lost touch a little bit with um with tracking which was the birth control I was using at the time Mm. what was happening to your cycle if you would like to speak about that if you feel comfortable yeah yeah I feel comfortable um so I I've actually always had a really regular cycle um but when I arrived to Australia my cycle I think changed it was I almost skipped a month of having my my cycle and then it became much longer 
And some of my um, fertility signs that I was used to tracking also felt like they shifted a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and now looking back, having had three pregnancies and three abortions uh, in my 20s, I realized that it was always after a huge change. So my second abortion was in Aust- was in New Zealand, actually, mm-hmm. while I was traveling and also was sort of like in a new phase of being with my body. And there was disruption because I was in a new country. And then the first time also was when I had just gone to college and left home for the first time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm, I can kind of like see a trend of when I can lose track of myself mm-hmm. or actually when maybe just the stress of traveling and being in a new place actually really affects my cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my ability to pay closely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Big life changes and yeah. Not paying as yeah. Lots of things changing obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, um, were you living with your, your partner at the time then you mentioned the separation and, and starting to move mm-hmm. apart. Had that started to happen when you did find out? I did. So I had found, we were still living together, but I maybe a few, like, gosh, the way I remember it, I think it was maybe a day or two before I found that I was pregnant. I had found a place to live. Mm-hmm. I was aware that my period was late at the time, but that wasn't so unusual. Mm-hmm. And, and also because the relationship was in a challenging place, I mean, we were still intimate, but pretty infrequently. So I wasn't so, mm-hmm. it wasn't in the forefront of my mind actually. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, we were really sitting down and having the conversation of like, okay, like I'm moving out. And he was saying, okay, well, I think I'm actually going to go leave Australia and travel for a bit. And then we'll kind of check back in and see, Mm -hmm. see where we're at. (laughs) And I, yeah, then I, you know, like the next day I really, uh, yeah, I saw my breasts in the mirror and I knew that I was pregnant. (laughs) Oh, the telltale yeah. sign. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I just immediately knew I, I, you know, it was in just like a day, something changed and I could tell that my nipples were different. And so I, I went and I took a pregnancy test and sure enough, I was, I was pregnant. Mm. And at that point we were, I told my partner and he was very supportive. Um, he was, he was very supportive either way um he was also uh interested like on the table he was like you know we could we could go through with the pregnancy we could become parents which was also a similar way that he had handled the the first pregnancy that we had together mm-hmm. when we were 24 um mm-hmm. so there was there was an openness and i would say maybe even a bit of a relief because i was the one at the time kind of pushing a bit of the separation mm-hmm. and so there was now kind of this this pregnancy that was putting our attention in one place, mm-hmm. uh, which hadn't really happened. I think we both got really distracted while we were in Australia and the energy just started kind of going in all different directions. And suddenly actually now it was like punk, just like this thing dropped in our laps and we had something to look at together and mm-hmm. became really united from that moment on. Um, I, funny enough, maybe you, yeah, the timing was all so tight and close together, how things kind of happened. So there was a a woman who I had met who was a midwife. Um, and I had heard her give a talk before and she uh, spoke about facilitating herbal abortion. And mm. before I even knew I was pregnant, but while I was indeed pregnant, I had reached out to her and was 
interested in in just learning about herbal abortion just as knowledge that I wanted to have not because I was interested in stepping into that professionally but it just felt valuable mm. to to hold and so I was already in communication with her and she was telling me about you know the different opportunities to to learn from her mm. and so that channel was already open and so when I then be found out I was pregnant um I kind of had this like resource that I was already in touch with <laughs> from afar but I, it took me some time. I mean, me and my partner, we, yeah, we took about a week, I think, mm. to decide what we wanted to do, even though pretty clearly right away, I knew that I didn't want to continue the pregnancy. It felt like a very unstable time in the relationship. And there mm. was something that emerged with not wanting, even though suddenly things were feeling really good between me and my partner and we were on the same page and we were giving each other our attention and there was a lot of tenderness and love. I was also just aware of this feeling of not wanting to have a like save the relationship baby or, or like to put mm -hmm. that um, pressure on the pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, and realize that there was, even though like in this moment things were really great, I also had to look at what was happening the months leading up to there. So there was a real juxtaposition mm -hmm. between like distance and conflict and then all of a sudden like closeness and intimacy and tenderness and it was actually a little bit uh a little bit surprising and, and shocking to go through that mm. Mm. sounds like a, a very although you and your partner were yeah united like a confusing time because of all of those things that had happened the months before mm -hmm. um and it's also funny like as in not funny haha but like funny as in like the universe kind of plonking this midwife in your lap like a few weeks before mm -hmm. you kind of needed her so yeah no it, it was amazing and so I you know in my first abortion I did I had a medical abortion which mm. was fine it was I think like not everyone experiences it this way but I certainly did that it was way more painful than I anticipated and mm. was told it would be so I had that memory. And then I had in my second abortion, I had a surgical abortion, which for me was actually quite um, traumatic and mm. not from the procedure, but the um, emotionally was quite hard and challenging mm. for me and disruptive. Um, so I was in this place of like, okay, if I'm going to terminate another pregnancy, which I will also say, like, I swore I would never do again, like the, my second abortion was incredibly challenging. And I was distraught for uh maybe like a year afterwards mm. and so there was sort of this pledge that I had taken that like okay I, I don't want to have another unexpected pregnancy and if I do I will have the baby and like never again and so then all of a sudden here I was I was pregnant again and my first feeling was actually like a real softness and an opening Mm. um to really feel like what's right for me at this time even though like sure I know the last few years part of the way I was reconciling my pain was to was to feel like oh I would never choose that again um mm. and then realizing like that actually didn't fit uh which was surprising also so mm. so yeah so it was kind of like you know in a way this really hard but very sweet process and also being on the beaches of Byron Bay wasn't awful like it was a very beautiful place to kind of process and be on walks and mm. be in nature and have time to really feel into my rhythm and listen to myself and so ultimately decided that I did not want to continue the pregnancy and that if I was going to 
terminate the pregnancy, which I was, that I wanted to um, try to do an herbal abortion because I was very early along as well. Mm -hmm. I had um, maybe like five weeks at this point, I just missed my cycle. So I reached out to this woman and and was like, Hey, I actually, I'm pregnant. I have decided I would like to terminate the pregnancy. And so she, me and her had some Skype calls Mm -hmm. and yeah. And she walked me through what it would be like to get the herbs, which herbs I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sending me the miso, miso, which was like, you know, the pill that you put in, usually I did sublingual, like in my cheeks, which then expels the pregnancy. Yeah. So, so that was an interesting process because I was being educated on what my options were, um, just using the herbs. If I wanted to add in the second part of the medication abortion mm-hmm. and then what to do in case I needed to go to the hospital or, or whatnot and what, how I could, mm. uh, yeah, get other kind of support if I needed it, um, which yeah. wasn't likely. And I didn't luckily need to, everything went as planned. Yeah. So then kind of like the next step of the journey was getting the herbs. Mm. Yeah. Which was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, I have heard different reports of a herbal abortion and that it's quite a very like a, like a very involved process there's a lot of herbs to be taking for you know daily mm-hmm. for quite a long amount of time and mm-hmm. um what was the intention of the herbs I guess you were talking about the uh, mifepristol like the one mm-hmm. that you put in that like causes mm-hmm. contractions was yes. that a backup in case the herbs didn't cause that effect or were the herbs mostly to stop the pregnancy mm-hmm. they were to stop the pregnancy and and taking the misoprostol was to basically just kind of like help speed things up like the body would naturally release and then yeah. I would have this option if I wanted to kind of like move that process along which was something that I did want to do yeah and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, without sharing what the information is, cause I don't feel like I'm totally mm. Uh, mm-hmm. qualified to do that, but it is, it is a, a, a very intensive process that really demands your attention, um, mm-hmm. which was different for me. And actually something I was really craving and what I feel like I missed in the surgical abortion, which was just so fast and mm. left me really overwhelmed and kind of jarred and confused and I felt like it took a while for my body to reconcile with my mind and that I was no longer pregnant like there was a real dissonance for me um that Mm. took a long time for things to to sink back up and to integrate and so even though it was a bit daunting um it was also yeah for me it became a ritual of, of really uh for yeah you know, several days with my partner just being like, okay, like we're letting go of this pregnancy. And every time Mm -hmm. that we were with, I was with the herbs, it was like, okay, this is like what I'm doing. I'm choosing to let go of this pregnancy. And so there was this, um, real close relationship to the decision-making process. And then, Mm -hmm. um, because it was longer at that time for me was, was perfect. Actually, it was, Mm -hmm. uh, it gave me the time that I needed to really, prepare and also to process what was happening with my partner and to feel really ready, which is how I felt, um, in the end. And that even though, again, kind of like going through the second part of the medical abortion, which again was quite painful and 
not even quite painful. It was extremely painful and not having any um, pain medication to help with that at the time mm-hmm. uh, was still really, I left that experience feeling much more integrated than I had mm-hmm. in my previous abortion. And for that, I was just extremely grateful. And then I had follow-up um, emotional support from the midwife that I was working with as well. So there was just a, there was just a different type of care mm-hmm. that was happening that mm-hmm. I didn't receive in the first two abortions that I had. Yeah. That's, that's a really beautiful thing to hear about, I, I guess, especially about a midwife. And I know I'm a little bit biased, um, but yeah, that continuity of care in midwifery in something that is not what people think of as midwifery, but is like really true to the historical and traditional yeah, role of a midwife, which was to yeah. care for women and the reproductive cycle and all that is involved in that. And yeah, really, yeah, it's really nice to hear that you had that experience. And yeah, um, <laughs> I was <clears throat> sorry, going to say, um, also hearing you speak about like the contrast between your your second abortion and your third is something that people have mentioned before in the way of um yeah, that that shock of it being so fast and not having mm-hmm. space to process it in your body. And I think you articulated that really well because there's like that 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 mental knowing of having an abortion, but there's also the body sense. And it yes. sounds like you had a lot of time in your third abortion to really let your body come to terms with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, exactly. And with the second one, I mean, and surgical abortion, of course, is is a great choice for a lot of people. And for me mm-hmm. at that time, it was just, um, it was the words you are no longer pregnant afterwards were almost not comforting, even though I knew that's what I wanted. I didn't want to be pregnant any longer, but then mm-hmm. to, yeah, like to feel the symptoms of pregnancy withstand for another like week or two and not really know what to expect and different things. It was just, it's yeah. Mm-hmm very very challenging it was very challenging for me at that time Mm, yeah yeah and um Mm -hmm. how was your yeah process after that abortion you had a little bit of support from that midwife and Mm -hmm. what was happening with your relationship if you'd like to speak to that yeah sure I mean it wasn't you know it was a lot more easeful for me in terms of my emotional well-being and the process was just a lot more conscious. I mean, I think, mm. you know, being 24, me and my partner the first time, and then being 28, I mean, we had been together for four, like four years at that point, we had really gotten mm. to know each other and were maturing um, into ourselves. And we kind of learned a lot of kind of some areas that were a bit cringe for both of us mm-hmm. in, the, in the, our first abortion together, where we were like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I can't believe I didn't support you in this way, or I you know, particularly my partner, like he was just like, I, so there was, there was almost this repair that Mm -hmm. happened through the third abortion for us. Like we got to show up for each other and then me for myself in a, in a really different way. Mm -hmm. Um, that made just a huge difference and and kind of the way that I hold the totality of my abortion experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but after pretty quickly after the abortion, we decided to, Uh, to leave Australia and to to go back home to California um, mm-hmm. by way of spending a month in, in Thailand. So 
I would say that this was all, this was all very fast. Like, and you know, it's funny because I'm talking about how like there was something really slow about the herbal abortion that I craved. And then yeah, there was like this fire again of like, okay, we're leaving Australia. We're, we're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to like go back to our jobs. We're like, I'm going to go visit my family. And I, I think that there is sometimes this like fire that a pregnancy can bring and an abortion of just like making these uh, rapid <laughs> decisions. And so or that's how it's kind of showed up for me in some ways. And all of those were the right choices, but it was very overwhelming at the time. And um, I had a an interesting experience while we were in Thailand. We met up with a couple of friends actually who happened to also be there, which was a fun coincidence. Um, and I was still recovering. I mean, I was still, still bleeding and was still kind of like having some some pain and cramping. This was probably only about two or three weeks after the mm-hmm. abortion. And um, I was sitting with the woman in this couple and she actually brought up abortion, which I would thought was really interesting because oftentimes, you know, before this, I was the one kind of always interested in talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> abortion. So I, I was just like <laughs> listening to her and, you know, she was pro-choice and she was just bringing it up. And she was talking about how she had had an abortion. And I was just really enjoying listening to her, was holding my own story close and was just, yeah, being in a listening role. And and then at one point um, she said, but, you know, I think you're really doing something wrong if you have more than one. Mm. And her having no idea what my Mm. abortion history was or that I had just had an abortion, my third abortion at that time. Mm. And I I I like stood up. I I just stood up super quickly. I went to the bathroom and cried. And then I I got out my phone actually and wrote an email to the Bay Area Doula Project, which is a place that I had done done abortion storytelling Mm -hmm. before um, in Berkeley in Oakland. And I just said, I need to, we need to talk about, I need to come when I'm coming home, I'm coming back to California. Like, I really want to talk about multiple abortion stigma. This is an experience I just had and sent this email mm-hmm. and they, <laughs> they got back to me and were like, yes, like, please like Ooh. come talk, talk about it. And so this was, um, you know, even though like I had technically had multiple abortions before the third one, there was still a way that I didn't fully identify as someone with a multiple abortion history. And then Mm. I realized, well, I'm in a, I'm in a different league in a way within the abortion world, like, Mm -hmm. um, of sometimes the way that we like someone can be pro-choice and yet they can draw a line in the sand and say like, this is a good reason for an abortion, or it's okay to have one, but it's not okay to have two, or it's okay to have two. It's not, I mean, whatever someone's line is like, you know, where the, which is just unique and different for everybody. Mm. Um, but being like, wow, okay, there's really something here, even within the spaces that feel like should be safe for people mm-hmm. post-abortion. But then what happens when you've had multiple abortions and you feel like you need to justify yourself or um, do you need to justify yourself? Yeah. And so I just started mm-hmm. to kind of, yeah, dive into this new uh, arena of, mm. of post-abortion care. Mm. And so were you, um, you'd mentioned that you were working in a restaurant in Australia, but were you trained as a counselor before that at uni or at college? I was. Yeah. So, yeah. So before then I had got my master's in counseling psychology and was 
uh, graduated and in the U.S. to be a licensed mental or to be a psychotherapist, you get do three thousand hours of supervised um, clinical work. And so I was on my way doing that. And then me and my partner at the time were like, let's take a break, mm-hmm. go to Australia, work in a restaurant, enjoy yep. summer. Like you know, Have like we had always yeah. travel. Like yeah, <laughs> like I love traveling. So like we we went there. We and then we I came back um, to California and started working again as a, as a mm-hmm. therapist. Right. And, um, I guess before you had left for Australia, had you worked in the realm of abortion counseling before, or is that something that was really sparked by this third experience? Mm -hmm. I had not, although it was my second abortion happened just a few months before I started my master's program. And that was what led me to have this in my awareness that I wanted to work with people post-abortion because I was grieving. And Mm. after my abortion was really struggling with my mental health. And at that time, I mean, this was 2012, I feel like Mm -hmm. 2013, like there really wasn't this collective of people talking about the full spectrum of emotions that you can have after abortion. Like I I was Mm -hmm. really afraid of myself at that time because I thought, oh no, like I, why can't I shake this? Why can't I just like be fine and great and grateful and relieved? And and so there wasn't, mm. I wasn't connected to any of those um, outlets. And I think they were still like really kind of up and coming. And um, mm. so I went into my master's program with this experience and starting to look at like, what what is this? What does it mean to experience relief and grief? And, um, but at the time I hadn't worked with people in person. And then when I came back, although my therapy job at the time wasn't solely focused on post-abortion care, I started to do uh, support groups. I went to women's Mm -hmm. gatherings and would hold, um, yeah, post-abortion, like storytelling and healing groups there. Mm -hmm. And was also spending a lot of time doing uh, storytelling, actually, because for me, that had been a very uh, cathartic and important way for me to understand my stories and and to connect with other people. Um, mm. So in the Bay Area, I was, yeah, like the Bay Area Doula Project was one place, but also going to UC Berkeley as a guest lecturer and giving a talk there on a multiple abortion stigma and, and various mm. different uh, places. So that was, yeah, my main focus. And then it's really just been in the last two years that I've shifted and brought my private practice into um that this is like the center of my work now. And then all the while, I would say when I got back from Australia, I started my Instagram page, which has mm-hmm. morphed over time. But when I started it, gosh, like seven years ago, it was called abortion care. And it was a bit more of a um, diary, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I, I was sharing more about my experience. And then as I started to step more into my role as a professional and a therapist, it's it's sort of taken, it's shape shifted over Mm. over the years <laughs> mm. beautiful and I love your Instagram yeah. um I was just <laughs> thinking you. thinking about it before and I think one post of yours that you've done recently that I really really enjoyed and it made me think a bit more about my experience was um the five I think it was like the five thresholds you passed post-abortion and it was mm-hmm. I can't remember all of them but it was like your first like when you stop bleeding and then when you have your first bleed again and mm-hmm when you pass the due date of your pregnancy and yeah um yeah there was a couple of others do you remember what they were yeah yeah and then it's uh intimacy or becoming sexual again 
Mm -hmm. And then I think the fifth one is, is just other milestones that, that occur. Like I would be, I would have a one-year-old, I would have a 10-year-old, I would have, yeah, yeah, two children, I'd have, I'd have one child, whatever it might be. Yeah. 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 There's such, Mm -hmm. um, I find, yeah, quite a few people have spoken about that on the podcast and that certainly came up for me in that, you know, yeah, these are are big things and that's part of your emotional processing after and yeah what comes up for you at each kind of yeah gate or threshold is very interesting and can reveal a lot um but the question I had for you was mainly about you mentioned embodiment at the start Mm -hmm. of this podcast and how you like Mm -hmm. to dance so I was Mm -hmm. wondering about um your second abortion it sounds like you had a lot of stuff come up in the year after and in your counseling practice how does embodiment come up for your clients without I guess sharing any specifics or anything um Mm -hmm. yeah how does that come up for people post-abortion their relationship Mm -hmm. to their body yeah yeah it's a great it's a great question you know um in a lot of different ways, I would say one, it comes up around uh, sex and intimacy. So what it means to re-engage um, in sex post-abortion, particularly for people who maybe are like maybe had an abortion a few weeks ago up to maybe a year after where it's still really fresh um, and there might not be clarity on um what birth control they want to use, or they're not sure how to have that conversation, or they're just feeling really mm-hmm. closed off. I mean, I also kind of say like a, as a joke that like abortion isn't really that sexy, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> and so <laughs> like, I just try to validate, like, it's, it's okay to like not feel sexy and erotic after an abortion. Like it's, it, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it can be quite heavy and like, even at the best, like it's, you might just feel like you need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people are, are curious about, yeah, some people are questioning like, where, where's my libido gone? Like, why am I triggered? Um, And, or why am I feeling kind of like, you know, shrinking away from my partner? Um, And then other, you know, things related to them, what we're kind of talking about with the thresholds is that I think that there is like a somatic carrying of the pregnancy through the due date. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. something that's coming out more now with postpartum is like that the postpartum period for people who have had children is actually a lot longer than what we, what we think it is. Mm -hmm. And similar to abortion and pregnancy loss, there's this kind of clinical view that like you go and you have your abortion and it's over and the next day you can go back to work. You can like resume life as, and technically, yeah, Mm -hmm. you, you could, right. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, you know, I have, like I, I, I've, been there. I know other people who went to work the next day. Mm. I mean, there are people who go to work the next. I, so it's like, but that shouldn't necessarily be the measure of of when the abortion experience is is over. So, yeah. and not to make it more daunting, but I think that there is this. Um, and I'll speak for myself at this point, but I do hear mm. my my clients talk about this when they're in that threshold before they're crossing their due date. That there's this there is this felt sense of the body still resolving the pregnancy. Mm. And, and so that can feel kind of like it can come up for people in dreams. It can come up for people like just suddenly, you know, touching their, their womb when they're seeing another person who's pregnant and 
um, being brought into the memory of their abortion and starting to think about how far along that they would be. So this is all, you know, the body is kind of like leading the way. And then some people do also feel um, a mounting of anxiety and pressure, Mm. uh, restlessness before, before the due date. And not everybody, but some people also express feeling like a little bit relieved or like a loop has closed Mm. at that, at that point. Um, like something has like kind of, yeah, they won't be able to see me. I'm making this kind of resolved (laughs) motion with my hand, but like something is like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, like a circular loop, like something has come to a close and that there's this felt sense that something has, yeah, Mm. but the pregnancy is now over. Yeah. And, and then, you know, in terms of other, you know, talking about embodiment post-abortion, I mean, some people have just gone far away from themselves Mm. after, after that, or, you know, the abortion or the pregnancy may have felt like a betrayal or or the pregnancy brought up Mm. another traumatic memory of a medical trauma or of a trauma from childhood or from an assault. And so Mm. it's not necessarily that the abortion and the unexpected pregnancy is traumatic or or triggering something, but it it can, it can bring all this other material uh, to the front. So yeah, it's a lot there. There is a lot there. Yeah. And yeah, another thing that's coming up is I guess not just the body sense, but the the mental um stuff that comes up post-abortion, which is like you're saying with the body, it might not necessarily be that it's like the abortion was really bodily traumatic, although it may have been. Um, but I think I guess like abortion for people, like unexpected pregnancy and abortion symbolizes a lot of things in their life that they're not happy with or that they want to change and so it's not necessarily like the abortion that was mentally hard but it's that they had to start to face all these things in their life that were not going the way that they wanted or that they wanted to change and didn't know how Mm -hmm. um do you find that come up absolutely yeah yeah Yeah, so so much I mean it's just like if (laughs) if you weren't looking around at your environment or your relationship or your job or whatever like as soon as you get pregnant all of that stuff just comes like bam Mm -hmm. right into focus um it did for me and it did for a lot of my clients like you know things that you were tolerating in your relationship or the dissatisfaction you have in your career or money or you know just things that you wanted to do and then all of a sudden when you're pregnant I mean Mm -hmm. whoa yeah. Like, am I where I thought I was going to be? And is it okay that I'm not? And if it's not, then how am I going to resolve that? Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, people's own personal goals, um, which can be frustrating or feel disappointing or feel motivating or, or whatever it might be. But then on top of that, you put in, you know, being a woman. And if you're saying no to maternity at any point there, I mean, you're just letting, not letting in, but there's all this other information coming out about who you should be and what will make you a good partner, a good mother, a good woman. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think even at our best, it still gets in that Mm -hmm. it's just been, you know, this is, we're talking centuries Mm -hmm. of of a, of a cultural paradigm for, for women and mothers and, and the value that we place on ourselves. So a lot of it is teasing out, like, cause it gets kind of all woven together. So like, what's really mine 
And then what's coming from society and from culture or from my religion or from my family or, or whatever it might be that's giving input the strongest. Mm. Mm. That's a really great point. I like that. Yeah. And I guess starting to wrap up, um, mm-hmm. what do you have any advice? I guess we've talked a lot about, um, yeah, the different types of abortion. And do you have any advice for somebody who may be considering abortion? They found out they're pregnant or having just been through it. I know that there are two very different things, <laughs> but do you have, yeah, mm-hmm. have any advice for people mm-hmm. on how to navigate the process from an emotional or mental standpoint? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I, I want to see if I can. <laughs> I've got so much. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. No, but I, I mean, I thought about this a lot and, I, and, you know, I thought about myself a lot. I thought about myself when I was going through that process. And then afterwards, when there was dissonance or when there was um, discomfort or where I was doubting myself, um, oftentimes that doubt came from being in a really dysregulated place, finding Mm -hmm. out that I was pregnant. And I think one of the biggest gifts that you can give yourself if you're unexpectedly pregnant, I mean, there's this like mad, or for a lot of people, there's this mad kind of rush to to figure out what to do. And and of course, it's Mm -hmm. true, there, there is a timeline. And I would say the biggest gift that I wish I could have given my past self or that I would wish for other people is to really take even just a day or an afternoon to to do anything that's grounding Mm -hmm. and to almost like give yourself a little small break from the decision-making process, especially if it's really hard and overwhelming. I mean, now we're not talking about like access, which is a whole other, Mm -hmm. a whole other topic and struggle that people are facing around the Mm -hmm. world and um, newly in the United States, but yeah, yeah, to, and at that time, where you know that you really gave yourself a moment to pause and to breathe and to just relax, I think really helps resolve any feelings of doubt afterwards. And because it's not so much of like, oh, like, am I making the right decision? But I think when we make any decision in a thoughtful, grounded way, when our feet's on the ground, when we've like given ourselves a moment to, to Mm. really breathe, then we feel good, even if it's Mm. still hard. And Mm. so that would be my, my wish is that you know, and it's not always hard, easy to, easy to find, but mm. take, yeah, really taking a moment to just feel, feel centered and mm. yeah, <laughs> and take a breath That's my, and take a breath and take a breath. And I mean, I guess the same thing would be, um, you know, my, I don't know if I have so much advice after, but just really that, um, I think what I hear a lot is, is that people think that they're abnormal or that, really something's wrong with them when they're struggling post-abortion and Mm. um, you know as many abortion stories that are actually out like a lot of people don't hear their stories reflected or the nuance that makes them feel like they're wrong they only hear something else in a story that makes someone else's story feel right and so Mm. um my advice is like it's really helpful to hear other people's stories and and to just really validate validate yourself and that's the most compassionate thing that you can do mm-hmm. and I think that really weaving in self-compassion post-abortion it's a practice it's not something that happens in a day mm-hmm. but I would I would strongly urge people to if they haven't already started a practice of self-compassion which I would recommend for everybody yeah. <laughs> personally <laughs> you know uh but that, that definitely after after the abortion to to look into what that might mean for them 
to mm-hmm. to cultivate more more just warmth and and love for themselves that and that will carry the process and and kind of fortitude them build mm-hmm. fortitude after the abortion mm-hmm. would you say that um like self-compassion a self-compassion practice is like treating yourself with kindness and treating your thoughts with kindness but is there any for me when I think of (laughs) self-compassion and this might just be Mm -hmm. my brain but I think of thinking about myself as somebody else and like Mm -hmm. looking at my life from a bigger picture like zooming out and being like these are the things that have happened this is what's going on oh I can love that person like she's doing a good job Mm -hmm. Is that mm-hmm. kind of what you mean by self-compassion or is that just my, <laughs> my take on it? No, it's part of it. I mean, you know, there's so many different parts of self-compassion. I think it's different than self-care. Like we can like, you know, do nice things to our bodies and like go on walks and eat good food. And, and that's self-care. Mm-hmm. Self-compassion is yeah more what you're talking about, which is really learning to love ourselves, love mm-hmm. ourselves, even when we're in a place that we might see as unlovable. And I think one of the easiest mm-hmm access points to that is to is to start cultivating a voice that we might use towards a friend that we love like how do we talk to our best friends it's definitely not usually the way that we talk to ourselves (laughs) and 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 because I mean for me when I was introduced to a self-compassion practice I I thought it was so like oh like (laughs) hearing hearing my own loving voice to myself felt so inauthentic it felt so weird it felt embarrassing like even though there was no one else listening to it but me Mm -hmm. in my own in my own head and so yeah and then I mean that's it saying like wow okay I didn't I didn't have a loving voice actually that Mm -hmm. I was using with myself and through practices like writing a letter to myself as if I'm a friend or or just you know bringing my hand to my heart and and all things that feel at first maybe trivial or they mm-hmm. feel stupid or whatever it might be. I mean, if, but it really is a practice and over time I, it does, it cultivates this warmth and this, and this love and, and care for the self that I think is just mm-hmm. essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Oh, and if people would like to find you um, on social media, where do they look for you? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's uh, Kristen Portney underscore therapy. So I don't know if maybe you can write that out on the caption or something, but yeah. Yeah. I'll pop it in the show notes. Cool. Cool. And yeah. um, Just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing a bit about your professional journey as well. Yeah. You're so welcome. (laughs) So that's it for the podcast today, guys. Um, Again, you can find Kristen um, on her Instagram page, Kristen Portney underscore therapy. That's in the show notes. Again, give us a like um, or a review, send us some money via buy me a coffee to pay for our Zoom. Um, And if this episode resonated with you and you think somebody would enjoy it, please do send it um, to them because I feel like that's um, a large way that this podcast gets around. So um, if this triggered you at all, please do all your self-care things um, and community care things. If you need to chat to somebody, a friend, a family member, um, a trusted professional, book an appointment, go for a cup of tea, go for a walk, do something to take your mind off things. Um, Yeah, and just sending you some love at whatever phase of your reproductive journey you're on. Um, And if you need some information about where to access reproductive healthcare services in your state, um, Cass has kindly compiled them together in a list that I will pop in the show notes. Um, Until next time, go well. Stay warm. Mm -hmm.